Welcome to the Fine Arts Educator Coaching Clinics Podcast, the podcast that supports art, theater, dance, and music teachers by sharing instructional trends and exploring perspectives in fine arts education. I am your host, Eric Sanford. Visit our website, faecc.org, to find resources and links to this podcast. While you're there, follow our socials and let us know your thoughts on the episode. Welcome again to the Fine Arts Educator Coaching Clinics podcast. I'm here with Nick Legerio today. He is the Fine Arts Coordinator for the Region 4 Education Service Center here in Houston, Texas. Thank you so much for being with us today. Glad to be here, Eric. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background and your information with Fine Arts. Okay, well, um, I have been a band director for 20 years, and uh, then I was a Fine Arts director for seven years. And uh, now I'm at Region 4 as the Fine Arts Coordinator and uh, able to kind of capitalize on the information that I had and be able to share that with everybody in kind of a a bigger realm, if you will. Now, has your career always been in Texas? Yes. Yeah, I started in Texas. Uh, I went to, got my education, my music education uh, degree from Stephen F. Austin State University and then started teaching. And while I was teaching, got my master's in music conducting in at Sam Houston State University. So you're very familiar with UIL and all the processes and all the things that happen in our great state of Texas as far as fine arts. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we enjoy a very, very strong fine arts presence across the nation. And, uh, and that's something that I'm proud about and uh, know that, that that is, you know, UIL especially and all of the, the competitions that everybody does, whether it's art or theater or whatever, that's part of what makes Texas as good as it is uh, across the nation. And you're somewhat of a, a rarity because there's not many people in your position at education service centers in Texas. Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, education service centers actually started out a little over 50 years ago, and they were, I think, TEA's response to the idea that they, as a single organization, couldn't support a a huge area like Texas. So they split Texas into 20 geographic regions, and of those 20 regions, they're all numbered, obviously, 1 through 20, and uh, Region 4 is the Houston area. And within those region service centers, they have uh, supports for all aspects of education. Unfortunately, they don't all have real deep supports for fine arts. And so, you know, whether it's bus drivers or nutrition or finances, budget, human resources, um, science, math, all of those things, principals, uh, superintendents, deputy superintendents, school boards, you name it, they support all of that. All 20 of the service centers in one way or another support all of that. Uh, Unfortunately, most of the service centers don't have truly a dedicated department to supporting athletics or supporting fine arts. And so Region 4 reached out once uh, I was there. I was hired actually in a different capacity initially, um, and they asked if I would add fine arts to my original job role and job description uh, to be able to support that. And I was really happy to, uh, to be able to do that. Tell us about some of the programs you've been doing so far with uh, the Region Service Center with Fine Arts. 
So with fine arts, um, it, it ranges everywhere from administrative supports, such as um, helping uh, administrators create scopes and sequences for uh, elementary art and elementary music. Uh, some districts have asked that I come out and help them with taking care of their inventory for their bands, their choirs, their orchestras, because we know inventory is a huge outlay of cash. Um, and sometimes we don't all of the districts don't have as tight a control or a tight of information maybe that they need for their, their inventories. So I've done that as well. I've consulted on budgeting and staffing and scheduling. Um, so that's kind of the administrative side. I've been uh, asked to do uh, in-service and professional development, whether it's communication or yearly planning for all of a fine arts department. Uh, I have put together some conferences. Uh, about a year ago, we did a art, dance, and theater day of training at our Region 4 Conference Center, and uh, we were able to do that. Just a couple weeks ago, we did an elementary art and music celebration, which was really a lot of fun. It focused on our elementary art and music teachers, and it gave them a little bit of love that maybe they don't always get, and so they, I think they enjoyed that. And uh, probably the biggest one that I've done was this whole year, we did a seven, uh, a series of seven classes, basically, for the Aspiring Fine Arts Administrator Academy. And that was based off of the other academies that the service centers offer. They offer an Aspiring Superintendent's Academy, an Aspiring Principal Academy, Aspiring Counselor, aspi Aspiring Special Ed uh administrator and so forth. And so it dawned on me that, you know, too many times fine arts administrators get into the position and they really don't know everything that they're going to be responsible for, or maybe have an idea of where to turn for all of those supports that they may need. So develop that as well. That's an incredible story. And a lot of support that like you said, you know, most region service centers, uh, education service centers don't offer that support at this time. I had the pleasure of being in your class for that. And it was an amazing class too. I want to mention that. And one of the things that really came to mind was just how the process of becoming or going from a, the transition from teacher to administrator was a completely different process than most people really are aware of. And one of the things that really comes up is how we are exposed in a different perception um, from, from a teacher to an administrator as well. And so I think... Our session today is going to be about how we communicate to administrators, not only fine arts administrators, but just campus or, or district level administrators as well. And um, I want to get your insight on that. So what are some of the components that are really important to consider when a teacher, a fine arts teacher especially, is looking at what they need or some problems that are coming up? What are some ways, some things that um, they could really find effective ways to communicate with their administrators? Those are all really good points and, and ideas to start out with is each of us as a teacher, we're focused on one thing. And, you know, it's almost like looking through, um, you know, a pair of binoculars. You're focused on that one item. And the, the, the difference once you become a fine arts director, especially, but I think also any campus administrator or district administrator is now it's almost like the difference between looking through that that single or to that single item. And now you're looking through a kaleidoscope and you see all of these different things. And fortunately and unfortunately, all those things consistently and constantly change. 
And so you're never seeing the same thing twice, even day to day as an administrator. And that's campus and that's that's fine arts as well. And so I think that one of the first things that we need to do as classroom teachers is we need to continue to focus on our kids. But when we talk to our administrators, whether that's your assistant principal, your principal, your fine arts director, or if you're in smaller districts and you are able and or encouraged and or welcomed to talk to a deputy superintendent or the HR person or the superintendent, and it's different depending on the district, the size of the district, all of that's different. But to realize that they really have to have a very broad view of so many things, and sometimes those things change very, very quickly for them. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing is the reality is you're generally going to an administrator with one of three types of, of communications. One, you're sharing great things. Two, you're asking for something, whether it's permission or money or, or a resource or whatever. Or three, that there's a problem that you need to make them aware of. Those are really the three main categories that you go to an administrator for. And each of those, I think, need to be maybe communicated a little bit differently and with an eye to what do they need to help you as a teacher, but also to um, possibly advise you as a teacher, knowing that at the end of the day, no matter what you do as a teacher, they are responsible for your actions and your students, especially like a campus principal. You know, as a band director, I knew that every single thing my band did reflected on my principal because did I consider it my band, quote unquote? Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, it really was his or her band because they are the the campus administrator that I report directly to. So I think that's kind of where where the conversation can start is with those three um, items and and kind of go from there. I want to approach those in a backwards order because I like ending on something very positive. So let's look at these other parts that sometimes come up a little bit more often. Uh, you mentioned a problem when there's a problem. What are some typical problems that you may have faced or have heard about? I'm going to ask you a two-part question on this. What is the teacher's viewpoint of it? And then how does an administrator kind of see that and what's going on through their mind when they think of a solution or, or think what has what needs to happen next? Okay, fair enough. So, so a common problem that you'll have, whether it is, especially in your performing arts uh, groups, at some level, there is an audition process, whether that's for chairs or, uh, you know, in a band, a choir or an orchestra, or that's for roles in a theater group, or that's for um, making the drill team or officers for the drill team or so forth. There's always an audition for most of our performing groups. And most of the time that starts in seventh, eighth grade, but it really kind of comes to a head in high school because all of a sudden it becomes, quote unquote, important there, right? Because it becomes very visible where people are and what they're doing. And so a lot of times um, as a fine arts administrator, but also as a teacher, you will have to field a a concern, a complaint, an issue, um, however you want to phrase it, of such and such student didn't get what either they or their parents thought they should get. And as far as a, a chair or a performing group or the part in the play or whatever it was. And so, you know, I think that from a teacher perspective, when you get that, 
the first thing is to be open, transparent, and honest with the, the teacher or with the parent about what, what the director or the teacher saw or didn't see that created what the, the result was. So the student didn't get from, for instance, a, a, a student has been in the quote unquote honor band in eighth grade, which is maybe their top group, and they come to high school and now they're in maybe the third out of four bands and they're in the middle of the section. That's not uncommon. And a parent could email or call and say, but my child was first chair of honor band, blah, 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 whatever. And they were amazing and they did great. And all of that may be 100% true in middle school. And so it's, I think there is an art to explaining to the, the, the parent that you're right, your child did play well. But now you have to realize they're not competing with two grades, seventh and eighth grade, who've only been playing for two or three years, but you're now competing against four grades where the top of the grades has been playing for seven years. And there's a big difference in what they've learned from their freshman year to now going into their senior year versus what your freshmen learned in their seventh and eighth grade year. But the good news is that they will have the opportunity to learn and to grow and to expand with a little bit less pressure because if they were put in that varsity group, they now don't have the opportunity to take their time learning these skills. They are required to perform these skills immediately. And that can turn a, a kid who's very positive and very good and has a lot of potential into someone who does not like the organization anymore because now they find that they're struggling way more than they need to. The other thing that I've told parents is it would be like putting a freshman on the varsity football team. They're not ready for that level of competition physically, mentally, emotionally. They're not ready for it. So let them get in here, let them get their feet wet, let them have some fun, let them learn and grow, and they will have three more opportunities to move wherever it is their abilities uh, lead them, basically. So from a teacher perspective, that's a way of doing that. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of teachers will do it in some way or another like that. Um, but as an administrator, when those things come to me, I will generally tell the parent, let me look into it. Let me see. I will explain to the parent exactly what I've just explained as the teacher person. Now, as an administrator, I would explain it the same way. But I would touch base with the teacher to, to ask, how did you go about making these decisions? How, what was the audition process? Um, show me what you've sent to the parents or the kids or whatever. What music did they audition over? Were they given enough time? Was it was it fair? Was it equitable? I would ask those questions not to accuse the teacher, but so that I know this teacher is doing this. So when I get those phone calls, I can say I've already spoken with Mr. or Miss So-and-so, and here are the steps that they are taking and, you know, go from there. The other thing that I would recommend, and this would be a before all of the auditions happen, is for that for the teachers to take a look at what is their process. And if they were a parent and had a question, what would they question and how would they question it? And so a lot of times problems can be avoided with a little bit more um, pre-planning, 
and a little bit more proactive communication with parents. I think the number one problem that most parents have is lack of communication. Now, I will also defend the teachers. Sometimes the parents refuse to read or ingest or understand the communication. And so at that point, yes, that is a different problem. But sometimes we as teachers, we get so focused on, okay, we've got to have auditions and it's got to happen. It's got to happen now. And we're going to da, 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 da. And poof, there it is that sometimes we forget to let the parents know, here's what the steps are. And especially freshman parents, they come in knowing zero and having very high anxiety. And sometimes that doesn't, that does not help the situation. And we don't do a good job of reducing their anxiety. I think it's really crucial to understand as a teacher that when an administrator comes and asks those questions you just mentioned, that it's usually not in, with a malicious intent. It's usually to understand the, the situation a little bit more, but then also so the administrator can back the teacher with that. And I, I'm also very familiar that when you're a teacher and you hinted on this yourself, when you're focused, so focused on the students and their program and what's going on and all the things that are going on too uh, throughout the school, something that happens is a very, it's a survival mode kind of moment as well. And so that reaction from a teacher could be a lot different when an administrator, someone that they respect and sometimes fear. And, you know, why is this person coming into my room? They never come to my room. It's something that, that could generate some anxiety on the teacher part of it as well. So I'm glad that you pointed out that it's not it's not usually about or not always about, you know, trying to put it on the teacher. It's just trying to learn more about the situation. Yeah. I mean, the way that I look at it is if I don't know a process. So let's say, you know, I'm not a theater person and I've had to learn what that looks like. And to different theater uh, departments, to different theater teachers, it looks a little bit different. But I also have learned that there are some things that you put in place to help avoid some of those challenges. And, and the reality is if someone has a complaint, they're going to have a complaint. So you can't do this and then you're guaranteed to never have a complaint that, that, you know, don't we wish that that's the way that it was. Right. But, but it's not. And so the, the answer really becomes here are some best practices. If we can do some of these things, then it should alleviate a lot of the, the, problems, the issues, the concerns, the questions. And if there is a question, a problem, an issue, or a concern, you already have the answers. And I think that's so much of the situation that we're in is if a parent has this concern, here's what our response is. If a parent has this concern, here's what our response is. And I think a lot of it is parents want to be assured that their child has been treated fairly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we would all agree that we want every person treated fairly. One of the things that I, that I have seen before is if, let's say it's a, a sophomore or a junior, and there, has, there is a decision that's made for that sophomore or junior based on actions that that student has made in the past, but those actions were never brought up to the parent and now there's a decision based on that, the parent has a legitimate gripe to say, you never let us know that this was a problem, and now you're holding our student accountable for it. And at that point, the, the, the teacher, is a, it's a struggle to say, you're right, these things were a problem, you're also right, I didn't bring them to your attention, and then where does the conversation go from there? It only goes downhill. 
And, and that's one of the things that I think I learned probably very quickly, my, probably my first or second year teaching is as hard as it is to reach out to that parent to say, I'm having an issue with little Susie or little Timmy about this particular thing. Most of the parents, the vast majority of the parents have said, thank you for reaching out to me. Let me see what I can do or some, you know, some variation of that. And very, very few parents turned and immediately were angry at me for reaching out. And that's one of the things that as a young teacher are, is the hardest thing to do is make those parent phone calls. And especially nowadays, we know that if a child gets in trouble about something, most of the time they're the first one on the phone or texting the parent saying, you know, Mr. Smith or Miss Smith yelled at me about such and such. And, you know, the parent only gets a 14-year-old version of it or a 16-year-old version of it. And so we have to be confident enough, strong enough to be able to reach out to that parent sometimes and fill in the gaps of knowledge that the parent might not have. But those have been some of the hardest ones for a, a, an administrator to stand behind because now a decision was made based on previous actions that the parent never got the opportunity to fix. It, you can't bring up past mistakes in a current argument. And it's the same kind of situation. You, it, it's hard to do that because why wasn't it addressed then? And I think the answer also goes that there's a certain level of vulnerability with that too, that you have to be able to put yourself out as a teacher to contact that parent. And when you have a million other things to do, sometimes this small little thing that doesn't add up at the time, what is it worth a phone call at, right now? Or and But I think projecting the future and, and, and anticipating is this going to come back and be a problem later? It may, may be an issue too. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, where, you know, experience teaching, I guess, I guess you consider it wisdom after a while. You realize, okay, if, you know, two kids are, are chit-chatting in class one day and you're able to correct that and it's not a big deal, then, okay, that's probably not a parent phone call. But if that's happening multiple times during the day, multiple days during the week, and it becomes distracting, that by the fourth, fifth day of that, that may be a, a parent phone call, you know? And so I think a lot of it is just being proactive to say, here's what I'm seeing. And, and some of that, you know, we are at a point where we, I think as teachers, sometimes shy away from sitting a kid down and just saying out of view of everybody else and out of earshot of everybody else and saying, are you okay? What's going on in your world? And, and giving them an opportunity and, and actually being honest with them and saying, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, what can I do to help you? Or is there something causing this? Or do you need something from me? Do you recognize that this is a bit of a challenge for us? And, and get them into the conversation where now they realize that you see it, but you're also wanting to help them. You know, so those are some other ways of being able to, as a teacher, being able to do that. And I think as an administrator, you do the same thing. If you see a teacher struggling with something, you know, they're always late with their paperwork or they're not doing something or whatever. You sit down and say, what's going on that's causing this? Is there something I can do to help you? Sometimes we forget that just like adults, life happens, you know, and sometimes life is not e always easy. And sometimes there's a crisis or, or whatever. And sometimes just reaching out to that teacher goes a long way. Well, it's the same thing for that student. Sometimes life happens 
And especially students, they have less control over their environment than adults do. You know, at some level, adults can say, I'm going to stay in this situation or I'm going to not be in this situation. And they can remove themselves from it a lot easier than a student can. And so sometimes it's just a matter of communicating with that student and, and opening the door for them. And they may not be honest the first time or even the second time, but if they know you're there, they may be honest by the third time and say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And this could be affecting what's happening in the rest of my life. It's a lot of different perspectives that go on with that, that conversation. Oh, and yeah. um, you also mentioned talking about asking for something from administrators. And, and I know we've been into this situation many times. Hey, I need 20 more band instruments. I have more kids than I have instruments or I need art supplies because I can't, I can't teach the curriculum or the teach without these art supplies. Yep. Or we have to pay $3,000 for the rights to this play so we can perform it. And yep. how, how, <laughs> yeah, how is like, that perceived from a, a fine arts administrator? How is it a need to be approached from a teacher perspective? Where are all the kind of pieces that fall in place on that? Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. There's a bunch of pieces and there's also a bunch of different uh, perspectives and a bunch of different possible um, situations that you're in. So, you know, one of my first teaching jobs and, and really a bunch of my, my teaching jobs, it was one um, high school towns, so to speak, or one high school districts. And so I was able to build relationships with not only my campus principal and assistant principals, but also with some of the, the central office staff, whether it was the business manager, the HR person, and the superintendent for that matter. But the number one way that I found the most effective was, first of all, don't surprise whoever it is you, you're asking by saying, oh, you know, it's September 1st and I have I need 30 more instruments because I have 30 kids. Well, I didn't learn on September 1st that I had 30 more kids in the band if I'm doing my job the right way. I mean, short of a crisis or a huge influx all of a sudden that for whatever reason, but if I'm doing my job right, I know probably in January or February that I can look at how many eighth graders do I have, how many of those historically have moved up into ninth grade and are we experiencing a growth is are the numbers shrinking or whatever and i can kind of project here's what i think we're going to have in the band next year and i can do that in january and if i start communicating that to whether it's my principal or my business manager or my fine arts director in january and say i think we're going to have a problem come september i want to put this on your radar now that goes a long way because now you know, the way budgets are, sometimes all the nickels and dimes are not spent at the end of the fiscal year. And so you get to May and all of a sudden there's a little bit of money left over. If the superintendent, the business manager and your principal all know you may have a need, they may be able to help you fulfill that need in May or June or July. But if you come to them at the beginning of the year and you have not asked for that or let them know this was an issue, then yeah, there's there's going to be a problem with that. So the first thing I think is communicating effectively and in a timely manner of, I think this is going to be a need. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is we as fine arts teachers, we teach from the heart. In fact, that's part of our job is to get kids and our groups, our organizations, our performing groups, our visual groups to create from the heart, from a place of emotion. 
And sometimes that takes over in our communication style is that we get excited, we get passionate, or we feel this, or we take it personally or whatever. And, and sometimes that can be seen as, oh, there goes the fine arts teacher and they're asking for the world and they get upset every time I say maybe. And, and so we end up getting that reputation. And so we have to find a way to balance the business of running our fine arts program versus the creative emotional aspects of running our fine arts program. And that doesn't mean be a, you know, a, a, a robot when you're asking for something. They need to see that passion, but we need to be able to communicate it the way they need to receive it, basically. You know, you communicate in the in the style that the receiver receives the most out of. For me, it was always through pretty um, needs assessment kind of memos or, or uh, you know, written documents of here's what our historical need has been. Here's what I'm projecting for next year. And here's what I think the cost is going to be for X, Y and Z. And then make sure that that was given to the appropriate people in the appropriate time. And I always found some success with that. But I also will say you have to build those relationships with the people you are asking that from. If they only see you when you have a problem and you're sharing nothing else with them, it's going to be really hard for them to say, gee, I want to spend $30,000 on art supplies or a new kiln or, uh, you know, a new uh, sound soundboard for the theater or new lighting elements for the theater or whatever. If they don't know what you're doing, what your heart is and know who you are. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, as they say, kiss butt or, or, or anything like that. But I think a lot of it is just letting them know you as a person, you as a, a teacher who cares about kids and that's where you're coming from so that when you come to them with a with a, a need tie it to this is a need for the students to be able to achieve and I think that that goes a long way so so I think it would be communication and building those relationships when you have that need before you need something so don't build the relationship when you need it because then you're just using them and they're going to see right through that I was going to say that's a very logical response to a very band director response. Sometimes it's impossible to predict that. And but I like what you also said when you when you mentioned you don't want to be the person that's going to the office always needing something because people will start shutting their doors when they see you walking towards them and, yep. you know, not answering the, the phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's that's not a important. good place to be in. Yeah. And that that kind of brings us to the third thing. And, and I don't want to steal your thunder there. But that third thing, that positive thing is is share the good things that are happening with your program and with your kids. And, you know, that sometimes if you're in a program that is not successful, you have to create those successes for those kids to start with. You know, one of my favorite stories is I was at a program that had not had success for many, many, many years. And I knew that it would be a little bit of time before we could have musical or marching success. And so one of the first things that I did during our summer marching band was I found a way for us to basically do a school supplies drive for our elementary schools. And I, you know, I gave the kids a goal of X number of items or whatever. And I, I purposely made that sound big, but it was really pretty small. And they were able to far surpass that. And so one of the first opportunities that I had was to share that success with what they did 
with the superintendent, with the principal, with the assistant principals. And then I got the kids to be able to present all of that at our convocation before school even started in front of every teacher in the district that I could brag on these kids and create a success and share that so that all these teachers that a lot of these kids knew because that was their third grade teacher and that was their fifth grade teacher. And that was, they were getting positive from everybody that look at what the band just did. They just created this and we needed this and they solved it and they went above and beyond and blah, blah, blah. And so it was a very real success, but it really had nothing to do with music or marching because I knew that success is success and they needed that taste of it to now we can roll that into the music and the marching. Okay, you were successful with that. Now let's work hard on this and you will be equally successful if not more. But, but I think the whole point is when something happens that is good and it could be simply that everybody showed up for rehearsal and if that's not been something that's normal, you need to let your principal and your superintendent and, and your school board, if you have that relationship with them, know that. If you are given a, you know, the money to buy a new sousaphone and, and you know, you've got your first chair using that or whatever it is, you get a picture of that and you send that and you say, this is where your money is going and this is what your kids are doing and this is how many people are auditioning for, this is how many people are trying for you know, here's what your new kiln has created for these kids. And, and those types of things, we have to share that. And I will say that is one of the hardest things to do sometimes for newer teachers, because especially in fine arts, we think of that as maybe gloating or shining a spotlight on us. And my way around that, because I hate having the spotlight on me, I always put the spotlight on the kids and the program. And then that alleviates the look at me, look at me. It's look at them, look at them, look at what they're doing. But I think that those things, we really have to have to capitalize on that so that people see that. And, and I think you can overdo it. I mean, especially once something good has happened and now it's become their standard, then maybe you don't go back to that every single time. But now how have you raised the bar and what have they done above whatever that standard is? And, and keep doing it that way. But I think that that's so important and that's how you start that relationship with those principals, those superintendents, with the parents, with all of those people, so that when you then need that thing or when you have that issue or that problem, they know where your heart is, they know what you've been doing, they know the quality that you're creating and they're not afraid to jump in and help you out with that. I'm very curious about the administrator perspective of that because as a teacher, you know, there's lots of teachers in relationship in comparison to the principal, the one principal or the one superintendent. When you have many teachers doing all these wonderful things, what does that do for a principal or a superintendent or a school district? How does that really impact like all these wonderful things? How does that how's, what, what does that do for an administrator? I mean, what's their viewpoint of it? What's their perspective when they see these things? Well, I think a lot of it, it goes back to what we said a little bit earlier in this, and that is that it's really not your program or my program or somebody's program. It really belongs to, at some level, the, the campus principal and or the superintendent. Because if we, if we make the kids look good, if we make those programs look good as a teacher, that makes the principal look good, who makes the superintendent look good, who makes the school board look good. 
And so now you've got positive weaving all the way through that the district, at least with that thread of, you know, whether it's band or choir or orchestra or dance or whatever, now they're doing great things and the district's reputation rises and that's a big part of it. So I think that's that's part of it. But the other thing is the the community sees that whether they have someone in those programs or not, they see that and now they have good feelings about what those kids are doing and what their school is doing. And so it's a win-win-win all the way around. Now, I do think that an administrator can visibly support those things, whether it's the principal or the fine arts director or however your district is set up to where, you know, if the if the choir has never gone to contest and made a, UIL, a sweepstakes in UIL for 100 years and now all of a sudden they do, boy, that goes a long way for the principal to come down at their next rehearsal or their next meeting or whatever and say, I'm so proud of you. You guys did amazing. And you are, you just keep working because this is awesome. And I love watching what you're doing. And, and that just puts a little spring in those kids step as they walk around that school. Now, all of a sudden they know that not only have they done good, but they're recognized for that. And it takes the principal not more than 30 to 60 seconds to pop in and say that. I think it also goes far to say that to the teacher personally as well of you've done a great job. Keep up the good work. I'm so impressed and and I'm so happy that you're here with us. You know, especially now we know there's teacher shortages. And so, you know, you want to make sure that when your teachers do well, we let them know that they've done well. And a lot of times that doesn't that doesn't always happen. And so I think that there's that. And from the fine arts director perspective, depending on the size of the district, you may or may not be able to get to every one of those that does that. But even something of an email that goes out saying, please read this to your kids. I'm so proud of them and I can't wait to see their concert or something. That goes a long way. So Nick, you have some great insights for just this whole perspective between a teacher, the administrator. What do you have going on at Region uh, 4 in the future? Okay, yeah. So so our biggest things that we have coming up is we have two things happening. The first is uh, on July 17th and 18th of this year at Deer Park ISD, we are hosting um, a two-day conference, and we have seven different distinct tracks, one for art, one for band, choir, dance, elementary music, orchestra, and theater. And so we have presenters coming in and they are presenting specifically to those tracks. And so we're very excited about that, but that is July 17th and 18th. Would that cover some of this professional development that some area campuses or area schools are asking their fine arts teachers to to go to this summer? Absolutely. That will give them, if they go to both days of that, that gives them 14 hours for their CPE credits And I know some districts will have kind of a trade-off day that if they have gained eight or nine hours off contract, that they can trade those in and they get that professional development day throughout the year that they get one or two of those back. And so this will help them get those days and earn those days back, basically. So, yeah, absolutely. And do you have more information about the different tracks that you have available for those? If they will go to esc4.net slash fine dash arts 
then that's where our website is. And I keep posting as we get more uh, confirmations of presenters. You can see our list of presenters. The registration link is there plus the flyer. And so they can look at that. And again, that's um, ESC4, the number four, dot net slash fine, F-I-N-E dash arts, A-R-T-S. And that's where they can find that information is right there online. We'll have to put that on the uh, show notes for the episode as well yeah. so they can have a direct link for it. That'd be great. That'd be great. The other, the other opportunity that we have as of right now is we are doing the second year of our Aspiring Fine Arts Administrator Conference or Academy. And that's really unique in that it, we meet seven times throughout the year. And uh, it's basically from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and the first part of it, the morning, we, we tackle one big subject. It could be communication. It could be human resources. It could be budget. It could be roles and responsibilities, whatever. We deal with that. And we talk a lot about what that looks like from a fine arts director perspective, what that looks like from an administrative perspective, and some you know tips and tricks and just general information. Because so many times uh, fine arts directors get that position and they may or may not have all the information for that. And so, so that's what we do in the morning. Then we have lunch. Then we have a panel of current fine arts directors come in and they discuss, I have some questions. I kind of MC that, that we start out with their questions and then we take all of the participants questions and answer those. And then we always end the day with a specialist in each of the seven divisions. And again, I always talk about the seven divisions as of art, band, choir, dance, elementary music, orchestra, and theater. And so one on day one, one of those will come in and say, if you become a fine arts director, here's what the art people need as far as budgeting, facilities, uh, scheduling. Um, here are the challenges. Here are their contests. Here are the curricular things that they do. And, and really, it's for everybody in there who's not an art person to understand what art is, what they need, and, and how to best support them. And then we do that for each of the other seven divisions at the end of each of our seven meetings. And, uh, and it really has opened eyes for people because as a band director, you know, I didn't know how to best support art. And, you know, someone who was a choir director, they don't know how to maybe best support dance. And a dance teacher doesn't know how to best support the, you know, the band program and so forth and so on. As we're all specialists in one out of seven areas. And our seven areas, although related, are not the same and they are very distinct. And so this this kind of bridges that gap. And so that's what we're doing there. And the information there is found at the same website. And uh, there's it's called the Aspiring Fine Arts Administrator Academy. And they can look at that and registration information and the flyer is there. And uh, you can kind of see what that's about as well. I will also say that it it bolsters the sense of community among the fine arts uh, administrating uh, staff within the, the area as well. Because you have area administrators coming in and giving, you know, on the panel and talking about what's going on. But then you also have other teachers, other administrators in the room at the same time. And the number one thing they kept saying every time a panel came in was, I'm constantly calling this person at this district or this person over here. And we're constantly sharing ideas and constantly sharing information. And yep. It's a community. I really appreciate that more than anything else. The information was wonderful, but also knowing who to contact when you need more of that information is yeah. it's a huge thing. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, we try to bring in people that that add something to what we're learning. Um, you know, I remember the story of one person, they had an issue with, their, I think, their one-act play, and, and somebody that we had brought in, they were able to contact them and get their issue solved almost immediately simply because of building that bridge with everybody. And it's, and it's great to be able to sit at those tables where you've got an elementary art person in front of you and you've got a choir person next to you and you've got a theater person at your table. And now all of a sudden you're getting different perspectives from, from people that maybe you don't have that same specialty. And that's the whole point is to really realize we are not in this by ourselves and all you have to do is reach out and we are really one fine arts community. And sometimes that's, that's hard to remember because we get so focused on what we do every day with our kids and our programs. Nick, I want to thank you again for being with us and joining us today. Is there any final information you want to leave our audience with? No, I, I don't think so. Just that this has been wonderful. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to just share some of my experience. And, uh, and I really enjoyed, enjoyed visiting with you about this. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you again to Nick Legirio and dropping that great insight about communication. To learn more offerings by Region 4 Education Service Center in Houston, Texas, please check their website, esc4.net forward slash fine dash arts. We hope you take advantage of the fine arts professional development they offer and the Fine Art Director Academy. You can find a direct link on our website, faecc.org. As always, we look forward to hearing from you, your questions, comments, and suggestions. Hit us up on our Twitter, at FAECChost, and visit our website for more information. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, I wish you peace and blessings.